0: Now, we've been talking about Matthew uh, for most of this year. We are in Matthew 27. Uh, Matthew 27 is, uh, we are at this moment where Matthew has been in an excited way, helping to to draw us into the story, this true story of what Jesus Christ did for us. You know, he came uh, to reveal the Father. He came to walk among us. But what he really came to do was to give his life, to yield himself on our behalf, to die on a cross. Well, Matthew's story of that and description of it is in Matthew uh, 27, uh, as we look at these verses from 27 27 through 50. See, the crucifixion of Jesus was the climax of the redemptive history, the focal point of God's plan for salvation. God's redeeming work culminated in the cross where the Lord Jesus bore the sins of the whole world. That includes you and me. But also in the crucifixion of Christ, the wickedness of man reached its height. The execution of our Savior was the vilest expression of evil in human history. The depth of our sin and depravity. The death of Jesus was therefore the supreme revelation of God's gracious love, love of God, while also being the ultimate expression of wickedness of man. Notice that when you read John's gospel, he focuses on the cross from the perspective of God's redemptive love and grace, the love that God has poured out for us. Matthew's focus, though, it's primarily on the perspective of man's wickedness. I mean, we've seen man's wickedness attempt to kill Jesus shortly before his birth. We saw that in Matthew. Uh, the attempt to discredit everything that Jesus taught, every effort to mislead and corrupt the disciples. Man's wickedness has been seen in the betrayal, his denial by Peter, the arrest of Jesus, and when he was beaten. But the most awful, most awful display of man's wickedness was in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus' enemies hated him so much that they connived away to have him killed on a cross. But this was no accident. He chose this. He chose it all. He gave himself for you and me. This is a hard part of the story. Uh, As we look at it together, Uh, as I was thinking about what we're going to hear, it reminded me of Ephesians 1, where it says, long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us, to adopt you into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the wonderful kindness he has poured out on us because we belong to to his dearly loved son. He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son and our sins are forgiven. Amen? Our sins are forgiven. God's secret plan has now been revealed to us. It is a plan centered on Christ, designed long ago according to his good pleasure. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth, for he chose us from the beginning and all things happen just as he decided long ago. So what we're talking about today, what Matthew presents to us, God had planned all along. Uh, you begin to see all the elements uh, that he has, all that, that he reveals to us and shows us uh, what has happened. So we're going to hear these words from Matthew 27. Uh, maybe uh, such holy, sacred uh, ground that we listen to and, and hear together today. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 27. Would it be okay if you would stand as we read these words? and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews, two rebels, were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. And we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon... Darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eli, Limithani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then some of those standing there heard this. They said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on the staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Finally, verse 50. Could we all read that together? Ready? And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Lord, we are moved by these words and we thank you for them. Teach us through them today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We see in this story a lot of different um, components uh, that are here. And so uh, I've um, I brought you like um, crucifixion show and tell. Uh, so that's what we have today. This story starts out with a lot of words about uh, soldiers. Um, the heading of the very first section that we read today was called... Uh, the, the mocking of the soldiers. Uh, this is a Roman helmet uh, that we use for passion play. Uh, it just reminds us, you know, that when, uh, when all this is happening in the section that we read, there's a great host of uh, soldiers that are around. They, they were not believers. They didn't really care uh, who Jesus was. You know, they, they had one job. They were supposed to have Jesus beaten and then have him executed uh, through the crucifixion. Uh, We're going to see a lot of things about these guys. And there was probably, um, the Bible tells us there was like a cohort of them. That could have been up to 600. um, Mostly higher ranking uh, officers and officials that would have been there. They wouldn't have been just your normal military. They were at Pilate's house. They were in that court keeping the peace there. So we're going to to see a lot um, from, uh, from these soldiers as we watch how they how to decide to act. They see that, uh, that Jesus is the, uh, this king, and they are there to uh, serve the governor. You know, Pi- Pilate's uh, attempt was to wash his hands of what had happened. He has Jesus beaten. He didn't initiate the mockery, but he certainly didn't oppose it in any way. Um, so he's got this half-hearted thoughts about Jesus, trying to kind of half-heartedly acquit Jesus. But these soldiers, um, you know, they may have hatred for Jesus. Uh, you know, whatever the situation was, we recognize that they come uh, for this moment uh, of mockery. Uh, we, we see the story tell us that there was a um, scarlet robe here. Scarlet robe that um, probably belonged to one of the soldiers. Um, been a nice robe. They took this robe and they uh, put it on Jesus. Um, you know, if you've been beaten and bleeding, you ever had bad sores on your arm or something and you just hate to put a shirt on? Uh, that we, we can even see the pain of them putting this outfit on him. Uh, again, thinking about him bleeding, recognizing the mockery that's coming. They heard that he was a king, and so now they're, they're playing dress-up uh, with our Savior. Uh, they, they put this robe on. You know, this robe, it wasn't the soldier's intent. But um, we recognize, you know, uh, the the Bible would talk about uh, uh, something that would be scarlet. That though your sins are as scarlet, uh, they will be as white as snow. They are red like crimson, but they will be like wool. Just as the soldiers clothed Jesus with a scarlet robe, Jesus was willing to take uh, the scarlet red sins of our life in order to help us believe and to know that he wanted to free us uh, from our sin. We see it in the, this story of, uh, with, with the scarlet robe. Next part of the story tells us that they had a uh, crown of thorns probably uh, in the brush uh, around the palace uh, plucking out some branches probably some young branches that would have been really easily bendable, folded together into uh, this this crown of thorns. This is one of our um, most sacred things of the story, isn't it? This crown of thorns that they crushed down upon the head uh, of our Savior. Uh, You know, the purpose of the crown was to mimic uh, the wreath that like Caesar would wear on official occasions, or sometimes the Roman officials uh, would wear those, it was a mockery of a crown that was pressed down on his head, and the blood uh, read down ran down his face. New wounds that were created. And like the scarlet robe, the crown of thorns become an unintended symbol by these soldiers, symbol of the sins that Jesus was about to take upon himself after after the fall, you know, you remember in that scene where it's reminding us that um, when, in Genesis where the sins of, of man were seen, he talked about the thorns that were there. You know, for Christians, the crown of thorns is a reminder that Jesus was and indeed is our king. One day, the entire universe will bow to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Roman soldiers intended this to be a mockery A picture, though, for us, a picture of the suffering servant Jesus from Isaiah 53, and a picture of Jesus who is willing to endure the pain, the insults, the shame, all on our account. The crown of thorns is Jesus receiving the crown that he didn't deserve. Oh, but one day he receives the crown he is worthy of. We see it in scripture where he says, but we see him for a little while who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering. So it's a symbol, a symbol for us, reminding us of Christ, perfect atoning sacrifice, delivering us from the curse of sin. It's intended to be a mockery, but the crown of thorns is an excellent,
1: outstanding symbol of who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. Such a scene. crown of thorns uh, leads us to uh, this staff. The Bible tells
0: us in what we read that they took a a scepter of sorts. A scepter might be something smaller like this. You know, uh, it might have even been more likely like a longer thing or even maybe just a reed uh, that they gave. Uh, So you can picture him now, right? He's beaten, he's bloody, he's got this scarlet robe laid around him. He's got a crown of thorns on his head and a scepter in his hand. Uh, You know, one day he's going to hold the scepter as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In this moment, he's in mockery. The soldiers bow before him. You hear what they said? They're bowing down. Hail, king of the Jews. That was their first bow, but there'll be another bow. Uh, We will all bow before him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, he's in mockery. They, they use this uh, reed or as a, as a scepter uh, to try to, again, in mockery of him. So we, uh, we see this mockery. They, they take the robe off. They take the crown of thorns off. They take, um, put his clothes back on, and they begin to send him. Um,
1: Number five, couldn't put this on the table, but I did have a little piece of this. The next thing we find is uh, the Bible mentions spit. My mouth is so dry, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it or not. That's gross, but it belongs on the table the spit from the soldiers. You know, whipping was their first goal. Crucifixion was what they were supposed to
0: accomplish. But, you know, we we recognize they're just doing their job, but uh, this is terrible. The soldiers went beyond their assignment. They take our Nazarene up to kill him, but they had other ideas. These are strong, armed soldiers, uh, and here they come, Uh, desiring to lay out spit on our Savior. You know, you ever been hurt by spit? Spit never drowned anybody. Spit never killed anybody. But spit is like a degrading of the soul, isn't it? That's that's what's happening here. Um, We see them. The, the spit of the soldiers symbolizes like the filth in their heart, the hatred that they had uh, for him. Uh, the prophet said, Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Mingled with his blood and sweat was, was the spit of the soldiers. Um, you know, when you, know, you read that story and you want to just say, get up and get them, right? He had the ability but he took all that on our behalf. Uh, couldn't they have taken the spit away? Couldn't they have, the angels have come and rescued him? They could have, but Jesus never commanded them to come. He chose the nails. He chose uh, the punishment. He chose the beating, but he also chose the spit. The sinless one takes the spit of the, of the evil against him on a cross. You see all these components uh, that Jesus is giving to us, they lead us in verse thirty, to this, the soldiers' mockery. So they, this whole scene is the, uh, the mockery of these men that have uh, no desire uh, to just do their jobs. They're bringing about the the absolute devastation of him they're spitting on him they're bringing mockery against him you know all the torment all the pain that Jesus uh, endured displayed here uh, on Matthew's story as he lays it out before him it tells us that uh, after they had mocked him they took off his robe put on his garments and led him away uh, to crucify
1: him that leads us to um, to this cross This is what the whole story is about, isn't it? Jesus giving himself on a the cross.
0: There's a lot of conversation and writing about this cross. Some, some believe that maybe they only carried this part, and that this part stayed in the ground, uh, just as many people believe that he carried uh, the whole thing. You know, there's all, all kind of Bible arguments about things like that. Uh, it seems pretty clear to me that... Uh, that he most likely carried the, carried the cross. He wasn't just carrying a small piece of wood because the Bible tells us that he had to have help. You know that he, he, was, he was up all night. He had been beaten. He hadn't had anything to eat or drink. I'm sure he's dehydrated. He's lost a lot of blood, uh, and he's asked to, uh, to pick up this cross. Um, his cross, way bigger than this one, uh, would, have, would have probably weighed a couple hundred pounds, and here he is um, being asked to carry this cross, to carry it on his own. This
1: is why he came. This is our symbol of who we are. Who we are as Christians,
0: the cross. Well, I know, you know most of you, you know, I got, and I'm guilty too, I got, I got crosses at home, I got crosses on my desk. I got, you know, we love to have that symbol of the cross, But it's not a decorative piece.
1: It's a reminder of the execution of the Savior Jesus Christ. And He took it upon Himself. The wooden cross, our reminder
0: of what Christ has done for us. We'll come back, come back to that cross. You know, the crucifixion, the Romans didn't invent it, it was invented to be one of the worst ways of, of killing someone. Here we have this sinless, completely undefiled Christ giving his life, um, kept up all night, bloody, uh, now being asked to carry this cross. The Bible tells us that Cyrene, a man of Cyrene named Simon, was pressed into service to bear the cross. Uh, he was somebody that, that was there. Simon's not really a... Uh, it's a pretty common Jewish name, so it wouldn't have been a Roman name. Uh, so likely just a Jewish man, a passerby. Um, Mark tells us that in Mark 15. Uh, so we, we see this whole story of him and, um, and this, the crucifixion is this moment. It was uh, originated by the Persians. Uh, it was intended to be something that would be horrific and terrible. Um, there's a, a writing in a book called The Life of Christ. It's got a quote that says, A death by crucifixion seems to include all the pain and death and horror that you can imagine. Dizziness, cramping, thirsting, starvation, sleeplessness, traumatic fever, shame, publicly shamed, uh, long continuance of torment, horror of anticipation, all intensified just up to the point that you could barely endure it and then it would be stopped to make it last longer. The unnatural positioning made every movement you made painful. The laceration of your veins, the crushing of every tendon and muscle in your body, the wounds inflamed by exposure to the sun, uh, being there outside as you were executed, becoming swollen, oppressed with blood while each variety of misery came upon you. One thing was clear. The first century executioners were not like the modern ones for they did not want a quick, painless death nor a preservation of any measure of dignity for the criminal. On the contrary, they saw an agonizing torture which completely humiliated him. And it's important that we understand for it helps us to realize the agony of Christ's death. So we've seen the mockery. The mockery happened from people that knew better uh, the chief priest and the elders and uh, the leaders, those that were on the cross that spoke against him. Remember the two thieves on each side. The mockery came from people that were just walking by, that were, that were proclaiming, you, you said three days and you rebuild the temple. Now come down uh, from the cross. So we see all, the, all these different expressions of mockery through the cross, through the crucifixion. Uh, where did it take place? Matthew tells us that the place chosen for Jesus' crucifixion was a hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. It's a place outside the city, outside the gate. Um, Luke in his gospel tells us the place called the skull. A skull in the Greek was... the idea of, of, just as you would think, it was kind of the word cranium you would get from, it. and it was translated Golgotha in Hebrew, and we even say Calvary. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of songs about Calvary. Well, Calvary was the Latin word for cranium or for skull, so that's where all that language comes from. So we recognize, you know, this, this scene where it was taking place is just outside the Damascus Gate, You know, it's not called the Place of the Skull because they left a lot of buried skulls there. Uh, It's called the Place of the Skull because it's, it's on a hillside. They picked a site where you can see that people were walking by. They wanted people to see the shame. They used crucifixion as a means to keep crime down. They wanted people to be seen. So up on a rise, there would be these crosses up there, and the face of that was kind of a cracked, rock looking uh, face and it had two eye sockets that were just naturally there and kind of had a little bottom that looked like a nose and a mouth. And so the place of the skull was the name of this little hill that was there outside the gate where they crucified on, on the top of the hill. Uh, so that, that's, that's what he's talking about there, this, uh, this place of the skull in Matthew 27, uh, 33. They get to this place and the Bible tells us that they offered Jesus a cup. So we have a small cup that had was uh, mixed with some kind of cheap wine, and uh, the Bible calls it gall, G-A-L-L. Um, you know we use that word gall, don't we? Yeah, you got a lot of gall. Uh, we use that idea. They use this. It was kind of a uh, something to. Help sort of as a little anesthetic, but they weren't doing it for mercy. Uh, the main reason they would give them this drink was because they wanted them to be still enough when they put those nails in their hands instead of having to fight these guys, you can imagine uh, we would probably you would probably fight pretty strongly if somebody's trying to nail you to a cross or worse or whatever that would be. Um, so they were offering this drink, but Jesus didn't want it. Jesus turned it down because he wanted to feel everything that he wasn't looking for a way out. He had already asked for that in the Garden of Gethsemane and turned away. So he turned away uh, from the cup. So it was time for uh, the nails. Now, uh, the way, Mat- way Matthew talks about it, he tells us that they crucified Jesus. Now, we know from all the Gospels that he wasn't just tied with ropes on the cross, but they used
1: uh, nails. Nails like this. Want you to hold these? Just pass it back there. We use these nails. In encounters, and notice that uh, there's a
0: little blood on the tip of these. We dip them in paint uh, so that these can
1: be seen as uh, evidence of the nails that were used to put Christ on the cross. These were big spikes. This breaks your heart, doesn't it? This touches us so
0: deeply. I don't want you to take my, take my nails so you just, uh, sometime on earth that you bring them back to the front here if you, you end up with them. These nails held our Savior on the cross. Uh, they nailed him there. So many times we talk about these nails not, uh, not really holding him because he was there by his own choice, by his own desire. Uh, these nails are our such a reminder to us of these different components that God has reminded us of, of what God through Christ has done for us. Jesus was nailed to the cross. One side, the other side, in his feet so that you could be saved, so you would know him. What a picture the nails are. Uh, for us. We see them after they nail him to the cross. They just are gambling for his clothing. Most likely, there would have been uh, more like five pieces of clothing that someone would wear, uh, these pieces of clothing. So they probably would have taken, each one would have taken one, and these garments that they had, it would have been like uh, sandals, an inner cloak, a headpiece, a belt, and then the Bible mentions this outer cloak or a tunic that they decided to uh, cast lots for. So it was kind of like dice or a little game that they had. We used this at Passion Play, and they pour those out together and uh, make a little game of receiving uh, his clothing. Again, they're not really paying any attention to him. They're in mockery over him. Next, we have, a, we have a sign. Pilate told them to put a sign. Matthew says, this is Jesus, uh, the king of the Jews. Uh, Matthew recorded it kind of in an abbreviated way. Um, we are told in the scripture that it was written, and this sign is seeking to display that, that it was written in three uh, different languages, in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Um, Greek was the most universal language of the day. Uh, the Aramaic, closer related to the Hebrew, would have been the language of Palestine, probably what Jesus would have spoken. And Latin was the official language of Rome. Uh, don't you love that? God had it written in all three languages to make sure anybody that wanted to know that this man on the cross was the king of the Jews, he was the Savior, he was the Nazarene that had come to die for all of us. Um, I sometimes wonder. How, how the robber on the one side? Remember, he says, uh, "Remember me when you come into your kingdom." You know, now he might have he might have come across Jesus. He might have known him. Um, I wonder though if he saw the sign. <laughs> um, somebody got saved even through one of the components of the crucifixion, because this man gave his heart to Christ. Uh, it says, "Remember me when you come into your kingdom." So we got a lot of components here. We got the soldiers, the scarlet robe, the crown of thorns, the king's staff, the spit of the soldiers, the soldier's mockery, the wooden cross, the act of crucifixion, Golgotha, the place of the skull, Jesus offered this drink filled with gall, the nails in his hands and feet, casting lots, this sign, and all all the while, insults. Insults all around him, insults from the people walking on the streets, insults from the soldiers, insults from those hanging on each side of him, insults from the chief priests and elders and those that were, that were there watching, waiting for uh, the crucifixion of Christ, for him to die after they've been planning for it for so long. Fifteen, there's a focus here on what time it is. Uh, do you notice in the scripture that it, it talks about um, that this crucifixion started about nine o'clock in the morning? And then in Matthew says from the sixth hour, which would have been noon. Darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. I think it's so interesting that, that God kind of keeps time in all this and telling us what happened at noon and how the darkness fell. During those first three hours, we hear a few things from the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. A short while later, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Uh, and then behold your mother, behold your son, uh, when he's talking to John and to Mary at the cross. In the second three hours, beginning at noon, there's darkness over the whole land. Uh, the word there that's used for land is translated, could be translated earth. So there's a discussion about whether it was just dark in the area or whether it was dark on the world, uh, across the world. There seems to be evidence that the darkness was across the entire uh, world. Um, the, uh, just like we there are a number of different places that talk about darkness in the Bible related to um, judgment that was coming. So we, see, we hear it described here. The purpose of the darkness is not really explained to us clearly in the scripture, but it's a reminder to us of the judgment that is taking place right now. What is, what is happening with Christ on the cross? Jesus Christ is giving his life uh, for all of us. The Old Testament passages over and over recognize that that's coming. The cross was a place of divine judgment where the sins of the world are being poured out on a sinless, perfect son of God. So it's appropriate that we have this great supernatural darkness uh, expressed, and that's what happens in 2745. The darkness over all the earth reminds us of the judgment that is being placed for us on Christ on the cross. In the darkness, he offers the most profound statement from the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus didn't die as a martyr uh, to some kind of righteous cause or just an innocent man that was wrongly accused and condemned. He laid down his life for himself. Uh, We we read it together. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his own spirit. We recognize that he sacrificed himself. The last little element that we have uh, here today is the sponge. Just before he died, uh, he cries out. They think that he is crying out to Elijah. Get some, some of that uh, poor man's drink, I'm sure it was, just some soured wine that they would have had drinking in the heat around there, and put it on the, and they offer it up to him. And he gets a little bit, you know, I, I always think that. If he's going to cry out with a loud voice, he just needed a little bit of water uh, to make it clear that he could proclaim, it is finished, it is accomplished, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So these are the components. These are the things that Christ has, has brought to, to all of us. At the cross, he, is, he made the difference. It's an incredible scene for us where his spirit is surrendered to God through this crucifixion event that becomes the centerpiece of the entire history of the world. I began to think, man, the, God had him bring a lot of stuff for the crucifixion, all these different components.
1: And then I wondered, uh, what, what, what do I bring? What, what, do, what do we bring? You know, I don't think he needs
0: a sponge on a staff or a, a crown of thorns. Um, He he wants my sin. He wants myself. He wants your soul. He wants your all. So we come together to to give ourselves uh, to Christ at the cross the way that He has given Himself uh, to us. You know, we we sang with the band earlier uh, this song. Uh, as it goes along, it says, at the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you, Jesus. I love the part in the middle. Here. My hope is found here on holy ground. Here I bow down. Here I bow down. Here my arms open wide. Here you save my life. Here I bow down. Here I bow down. You know what what do you do? What do you do with the crucifixion of Jesus? Well, I think one is that if you haven't given your life to Christ, this is the whole point. This is why he came to die. And to give his life for you. So I, I hope that you would surrender your life to Christ today. Secondly, maybe you already know him. You know, we, we recognize the horror of this moment, but we are moved. We feel the awesome gift that's been given to us. Here's where I want to end. I want the cross of Christ to be such a reminder to me that I never find myself um, giving in, deciding that I'm going to walk away. How can I walk away when I know the truth of what happened? This is never going to change. This is the moment of your salvation that he's provided for you. So I long for that foundation to be so secure in my heart. That as I know the truth of the cross, that I give my life to Him, that I sacrifice my life, my soul, my all uh, for Him. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this uh, this song with them. Uh, you you open your heart. You worship Him as you as you look at this cross.
2: some place
0: for us. All of these different elements remind us of how true this story is. But it's our story. It's our salvation for a lifetime. Thank you for what you did
2: at the cross. In Jesus' name. Everybody say it you.